The ones I love built relationships. You can have great technology, you can have a great product, but if you don't build the relationships, then I don't know if I, I don't 100% trust you. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Hey guys, I'm here with Paul Kankowski. We just wrapped an episode on all things systems and process. We went deep. We talked about the tech, we talked about the culture, we talked about the value add and what you can get from making that kind of an investment. It's pretty dope episode. I think you're gonna enjoy it. Check it out. Welcome closers to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm coming to you live with my man, Paul Kankowski. Paul, thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure to be here. Very excited. Paul, I want to talk, I want to make this a master class on systems and processes. That's what I want to talk about. Okay. You're qualified. You've been through the trenches. You've made it kind of your thing. You host a conference and an event on processes. You're personally stimulated by it. You've produced it in your own business. You've lived it. So what I want to talk about is what is necessary, what needs to be done, what must be true to benefit from systems and processes that is agnostic of technology. Where people want to go is what tech, what platform, what software, as if that's the solution. You and I both know the, there are a million platforms that can work, and also none of them will work unless a bunch of things that are independent of technology must be true. So in your mind, what are the necessary ingredients to get leverage out of this tech that is fundamentally not tech-oriented? Well, just to get on the technology, I'll start with that part of it. Technology is essential to make your job easier. It's not going to make you a good process. It's not going to make you a good property manager. But if it can take away silly things so that you can concentrate on more important things, that's the role of technology. But if you take technology and you have a crap process, well, then you're going to just be feeding crap. like you in, On steroids. Yeah. You're just doing it like where you don't even know that the email is going out. It's crap. So my thing is you got to have a personal approach. You got to be vested in the client experience. If you're vested in the client experience, that's what you're looking at. And then you use technology to make that client experience better, then you're on the right track. But some people, they go to the systems conference, and they say, how do I automate everything? How do I get zaps and zap yours and zap it all so everything gets done without me doing any work? And I said, well, you can automate, but you're going to automate crap and you're going to just be getting more crap out there. What you want to do is get a good experience and then find technology to make that experience quicker and faster for you. So what would be some use cases where the orientation on the customer experience has allowed you to get a higher yield than if you were just focused on tech and automation? Well, let's just take a renewal process. So in the old days on a renewal process, my wife had a spreadsheet. She kind of did it. We kind of figured it out. We, you know, she'd kind of send an email. It was haphazard. Sometimes it was 30 days before the release. Sometimes it was 45, sometimes it was 60. It wasn't, the process sucked. 
but she did a great job. She did it, and it was something I didn't have to think about. I didn't have to think about that, and I don't mess with my wife when she's doing something for the company. So I told her, hey, we're going to take it over. And you know, she's like, great, let's work for me. So now we made an automated process where I have where data on what the rental analysis is come in. And so that's very automated. But there's a person aspect to it because the person looks at it, looks at the analysis and makes sure when it goes to the owner um, that it's going at the right time. So there's using technology and there's using a personal aspect. And then when the owner responds back, we don't respond back with a form form email. It's a call. It's a talk, a conversation on the renewal. And because my person has more time, because automation is helping, they have more time to be more personal with the owner. And a renewals is a great time to give a touch point with your owner that's positive, mm-hmm. especially right mm-hmm. now with rents going up. Mm-hmm. You know, one owner doesn't want to make $100 more a month or $200 more a month. So it's a really a really good email. But it's a combination of doing that. But you, ha- we had it when we first did it. I said, I want no automation in this process. I want every step to be done by you guys. You're going to do this for six months with no automation at all. Once we get it done right and we get it done where it's doing well, then we're going to use things like Lead Simple and have Lead Simple where you can check off the box and it's just going to email it automatically on day seven and on day 14 if they don't check that off. But if I sent it from day one, what if my email had grammar errors? What if my email said, Dear Mr. Last and First Name? Because those things all happen in automation. Mm-hmm. But if you do it personally, you're going to be like, Oh, wow, the email looks like it's bad or this. So give yourself time to perfect it. Mm-hmm. And then automation comes. People think processes take two weeks and you just get them done. Processes take six months or longer to get it good. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later, guess what you do? You revisit that process and try to make it better. Constantly. Yeah. So that is where you're really getting a good customer experience because you're looking at it. And so my big thing with processes um, when something bad does happen, whether it's automated or not, that we might revisit it sooner too. So like when we find out an email is going out bad or, or for example, um, if we had an application process and all of a sudden we get an eviction and we're like, why did we get that eviction? Oh, this is it. We're going to go back and revisit that process to fix any problems we ever find in the future because you don't know what future problems are going to be. So processes aren't something that you make and you shelf and they're just going to let there are living documents that they make your company better. Yeah. It's, it's satisfying this idea that we're going to get it all perfect and it's going to be at a point of stasis, but the reality is things change, regulations change, you change, your staff changes. There's all kinds of reasons to update your processes. I take your point to heart that people are wanting to graduate from using a slingshot, which is doing things manually to nuclear warfare, right? It's like, there's some steps in between here to go from entirely manual to all the way automated. And the thought process that's required to get the clarity that is necessary, again, it's not tech first, it's process, systems thinking, system design, what is the outcome? When people make these investments, frequently it's made under the guise of efficiency, first and foremost, the robots will go to do things instead of people. There's another side to it though. There are other benefits. One of the other benefits, for example, is error reduction. What is the holistic set of benefits that encompass the value prop that you see in making this kind of an investment? Well, when you say um, automation, everything automated, the reason I would say automation is good because it frees your people time to have a personal connection. So I'm not saying, because a phone call can never be automated. 
a phone call by your property manager talking to the owner saying, hey, owner, I just want to call to let you know we did a drive-by, the yard looked good. Now I can automate that in email and I can automate everything that's sent. But your owners only get phone calls when, hey, your tenant's a problem. Um, hey, we have bad news. This is happening. So if they can automate good conversations, you're giving a better experience. The same is true with your tenants. You know, if we can automate, people think, oh, we don't need to talk to our tenants. Tenants aren't people we want to. Your tenants are a great source of income. Because if you have time where these little things are automated and you can call your tenants and be like, hey, um, we just wanted to wish you a happy six months. We're glad you've been there. Hey, we want to tell you about our buying program. Mm. We want to tell you about this program. Why, why would I want to tell you about the buying program? Well, because when they buy a house in California, I make 20 grand. So we want to tell you that. But, you know, we get so in the weeds, so in the trenches, and we only want to deal with getting, we're, we're drowning. And we just got to get that water out of our mouth, get that. Mm -hmm. When you can get your processes going well, then you can start working on, you know, becoming a faster swimmer. You're not drowning. So how am I going to become a faster swimmer so my company can make more money, so be more profitable? And profits are good, but also so my owner and my tenant can have a better experience and be, I want to rent from pure property management. I want to go with those guys because, you know, they're going to give me the best experience ever. So if I go another house, I'm going to go with them when I move. Now, Paul, there's an interesting intersection of causal factors here, specifically as it relates to the emotional relationship that many small businesses have with their client base, aka, I don't want to talk to these people. I don't want to talk to my owners. I certainly don't want to talk to my tenants. I don't want to get on the phone. Now, some of that could be, some of that is just one-off interpersonal. People are grumpy and it is what it is. But systemically, what do you think the relationship and the interplay is between these systems and these processes and the way that people relate to getting on the phone with their owners? Are these independent factors or does the one contribute to the other? I don't want to talk to my owners. I don't want to talk to my tenants. And if I have to talk to an owner, unless it's something severe, I'm probably firing them. So I get that point. I hire people that want to talk to my owners, that want to talk to my tenants. As a business owner, you know, there's a certain point, you're not going to be talking to your owners, you're not going to be talking to your tenants, but you want to hire people that are incentivized by talking to the owners, by talking to the tenants, because when they have a good experience. So if my employees get a blank reward every time we get a positive review, and so they can talk to tenants and then in that through that positive experience, we get a positive review and they get, you know, um, $50 or, uh, you know, if they get enough, they get a trip somewhere. It's a positive experience for my employees. As a business owner, I, I don't think unless you have very few doors, you're going to you're going to be doing the right thing by calling owners and tenants all the time. Cause that's, you have more things to, you want to be creating more jobs for more people and growing your business. So you're going to get to the point where, but you hire people that enjoy that. Um, I enjoy, I, I enjoyed it when I did it. I mean, it was to a point, you enjoy the good conversations, but when you've had those good conversations, the bad conversations are easier, it makes your job easier. And when you're calling people to tell them good things, they're happy. So your employees get a happy response back. So that's where I'm saying, we don't have to, you know, it, it's going to make your job better. Right now, property managers, they get yelled at all day. They have the bad experiences. If you, if you make a more efficient company, you're going to have that 
bad experience to deal with, but you also have the good experience. So you're going to balance out your day with people that are happy with your conversation. And it's not going to just be this thing that just keeps you feeling low. So I'm not saying you as an owner need to talk to everybody. I'm saying hire people that will do that, will give the positive experience. Because if your people are spending all their time just doing petty Putting tasks, out fires, reactive, yeah. repetitive. And repetitive tasks and things that, that are not efficient. And the biggest thing a system does, whether it's automated or not, I, I always say you can have a system with no automation. And what is a system with no automation going to do? It's going to save you time. Mm-hmm. So like if you have this lead simple product and it tells you these are your tasks to do. And so when a lease gets signed, it tells you the next task, not automated. You still physically have to do it. If I have 60 tasks I have to do in a day and I just can check off the boxes as I do them and the tasks get done, what is the biggest time waster your employees have during the day? It's the fact that they got to remember what they have to do. And so they're like, oh, because, you know, so they either have to make a list on paper, they have to go write something down or they forget to do it. And it's always this stressful. I always had the people that said, at the end of the day, I write all my tasks on a paper of what I need to do the next day. Mm -hmm. So if you can have a system that will tell you what you have to do the next day, you're not wasting a half hour at the end of the day trying to figure out what you do the next day. So that's where, um, and when you can, when you can have something tell you what to do and when you can do that, it just, you can let that stuff go out, those stresses, those worries. Mm-hmm. Oh, did I get all the leases out? Did I get these signed? Well, you don't have to worry about that because the because the, the product's going to tell you if you didn't do your job. Mm-hmm. And so as a business owner, I like it because I can click on each person's name and be like, oh, they have 14 tasks today. Oh my gosh, John has 25 overdue tasks. Hey, John, what's happening? Why are you overworked? What can we do to help you? How can I help someone help you? So I can tell that John's being overworked before John starts to burn out. And then I can say, okay, let's get a remote employee. Let's get someone else to come help you with this because I either John is a bad employee or John's overworked. If he's a bad employee, then there's other stories. But if he's overworked, let's get someone to help you so you can do your job well. Because when you start getting overdue tasks and overdue tasks mm-hmm. and overdue tasks, yeah. you go down that spiral where the water's coming in your mouth. And mm-hmm. eventually you're going to do one of two things. You're going to stop caring about the company, bad for the company. You're going to quit bad for the company you spent that money training or so either way those are not good options yeah and i appreciate what you're saying about the context switching and allowing people to quickly go back and reorient there's mental residue that it, that resides when you're switching back and forth between all these things and this is why people say you can't truly mental task when you have a centralized repo it keeps you on track and it keeps you on task let's talk about the team member relationship with these systems you architected it you're bought in, you you buy into it. But you mentioned, for example, people falling behind. What is your feedback when you hear somebody articulate it? Paul, I get it, I made the investment, but my staff doesn't use it. My team member doesn't use it. What's your response and what do you diagnose? What do you hear when somebody says that? They didn't have their staff involved in creating the process. I, you're saying I made it, I didn't make it. I facilitated the making of the process. I was there. so. Um, a few months ago, I went down to Mexico and I brought all my staff together, flew some of them in. So all my remote staff, and we went through every system and we started off by going through and just looking at it. Then they broke off into groups of three and they diagrammed. There are three things they like best about it and what they hated about the system. 
Then we put that all up on a wall. And then we came up with to-do list. Like we need to fix this and it. We need to fix this. We need to fix this. All that input was done by the people who did the day-to-day job. If you're a CEO, if you're a business owner and you work top down, you're a bad owner. You are not the brightest person in the room. Get that through your head. Like you, I know we believe we're really intelligent, but we're not. Like, I mean, you, your job is to facilitate the people that do it every day and find out. And when they buy into it, that's their thing. The other thing I find wrong with business owners is they'll have checklists and they won't follow the checklist themselves. They won't check off the boxes. They won't do that. I'm too busy. I'm the owner. Well, if you from the top or the manager doesn't follow the process, doesn't follow the steps, what are you telling the people that are in the trenches? Well, if the owner doesn't follow it, why do we have to follow it? So that is the key. Like if I get called out, like the only thing I have to do on the leasing process is sign the lease. If I sign a lease very quickly, it comes an email, push the button, sign it, move on. But if I don't go into the process and check the box off that I did it, I tell my staff to call me out on it. Because I want to make sure that, so I do it every single time. But when I sign it, guess what I look at? Hey, why didn't the person in front of me check off their three boxes? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I send an email immediately. And they're like, oh man, he really looks at the process. Mm-hmm. So we all are accountable for our, from, it doesn't matter who you are. If you have the same rules that you give to your staff, to your staff then life's going to be good. If you play by different rules because I am God and I am all powerful because mm-hmm. I'm the owner of the company, mm-hmm. then your processes are going to suck. If to, yeah, if you give yourself too much leeway, too much permission to be exempt from the yeah. rules that everybody else is subject to. Yeah, you you have to, if you tell people, you know, we're going to wear a shirt and tie to work, which we would never do, but you, you better wear a shirt and tie to work. Right. You wouldn't go to work and tell you, all your employees wear a shirt and tie and be CEO and walk in flip-flops. Like that would just be like a smack in the face. Like, oh, he makes us dress this way. The same, and that's a very 1980s thing. Like, you know, no sure. one wears a shirt and tie to work. But the same is true with a process, which sounds very different. The same is true with a process. If you tell everybody, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this is a requirement. And if you don't do this and you do it three times, you're going to, you know, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have retraining, whatever it's going to be. And you don't do it and you don't get consequences. Then how's that fair? Mm. Paul, my thesis and my strong belief here is that the nature of the work in this industry is changing and transforming property management 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. We've gone from everything being done manually in the field to now having some tech enablement, do what you were already doing better with tech to now transitioning to a 3.0 paradigm where the majority of the work, the real work is meta work. It is digital first. And yeah, you go up the property if you need to, but the building of the rails on which the work flows becomes the real work, the design of the systems. And so an example of this would be Oftentimes, people interact with systems that they feel like are more complex than they've been used to. Classic example would be Zapier, for example. You know it's powerful, but it's also, honestly, a big buzzkill for a lot of people. Now, is it because the system is too complex? Mm, Maybe. I think many people could figure it out. What I do think is that there's an identity gap where they look at something like Zapier, Lead Simple, Process Sheet, whatever the tool is, and the identity gap looks like this. They say, oh, that's not my job. I just have to figure out this tech in order to do my real job, which is over here. And my strong belief is that the people coming into the business right now, the current generation coming in are going to invert that and they're going to view the the digital work and the system design as the actual real job. 
not a secondary thing, but that as being the primary thing. Are you seeing shifts in how business owners are relating to what exactly their job is and some blurring of, of what those traditional roles have been? I disagree with the, the I, I believe the shift that the, I believe the viewpoint of that shift is there, but I don't agree with it. I believe that yes, we have technology and we have all these things going, but I believe the person that's going to win the cheese, the person that's going to that is going to be customer service related. Amazon, for example, before Amazon, you you got a package in two weeks. You were happy. You were like, Oh my gosh, I got it in two weeks. Now Amazon says, Hey, it's going to be three days. And you're like three days. Seriously. I have to wait three days. Like, our expectations as a society is going up and up going up and up and up and up. So do you think that this generation renting houses is going to expect that their maintenance is done in two weeks, that their maintenance is they're going to expect if Amazon can deliver a package the same day, you can get a plumber out to fix my sink the same day. And so technology helps us with that, but that's also a customer experience. So I was all about customer experience and, you know, I had like a hundred reviews and I think I have two that are not five star. So we were all about really getting into that. Um, I, I, I sold to pure property management. And one of the reasons that I believed in when I, when I went with them was because they are, you know, we have 14,000 doors right now, but they were all about customer experience, customer support. We want to make the best customer experience in the industry. We want to um, take the best brains in this game and we want to figure out a way that we can continue to increase the customer experience point. Because if we don't, you know, we had that company in Detroit that was all about, we're just going to be automated. We're going to charge you like 10 bucks a month. And we're just going to, mm-hmm. everything's going to be technology and there's going to be no human aspect. And it was complete failure because um, you have to have that human aspect. But if you take technology to decrease your BS time and you use that time to figure ways of, I mean, think about it, um, filter easy, second nature, you know, it's all about the resident experience. Um, people will pay more to have a good experience. You go to these high-end lofts with millennials, they're paying a lot of money so that someone picks up their dry cleaning, walks their dog, you know, does all these things. Um, the younger generation will spend more money to have a good experience. But if they don't have a good experience, they're going to yelp, they're going to Google you, they're going to, um, they're going to really hurt your business. In mm. the our generation was like, okay, please don't spit in my food. Don't do stuff like that. We were less, um, we, we were not used to getting the, as, as good of a customer experience. So my point from that is, is that as, a, as the thing goes on, we need more customer experience, which means we need more human touch. Because yes, you want it quicker, you want this, but that human touch, the human touch doesn't have to be a phone call because uh, this generation really doesn't want you to talk to them on the phone. But the human touch is that the human person is getting it to you and getting what they need to done quicker, whether it's, you know, cookies on their doorstep that they spend money on or whatever that next thing's going to be. But there's going to be these next things that are going to make their tenant and owner experience even that much better. And that's, I believe... Um, we're going to see a lot of vendors coming in that space to make a lot more money off of that experience point. 
And the architecting of the work, the systems is obviously a huge force multiplier in being able to consistently and accurately provide that kind of a caliber of customer service. Totally take that point to heart and agree. When you think about somebody buying into this vision, they're drinking the Kool-Aid and they want to jump on board. They want to go after this vision. Where would you encourage somebody to start with system design, system thinking, and kind of building out their processes? Well, I would say start with one and work on getting it done very good and not expecting that you're going to do it in a weekend. Um, I think the problem is people come in and they say, I I'm going to work on my leasing system. And they spend three hours on it and they're like, okay, it's done. I finished it. And then they implement it across their company. And then they're like, why didn't it work? Why is there problems with it? So if I'm going to create a system, I'm going to work on the system. Then I'm going to put it off to the side and I'm going to give it to other people to break. Like I don't work on systems anymore. Now I'm just a breaker. It's a much more fun job. You QA, bang on it. Yeah. I So so David will work on our systems and he'll create it and then I'll go through it. And I'll be like, no, this is this is this is this wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Okay, work on it again. He'll go spend another, you know, 10 hours on it, come back through. I'm like, okay, I like this better, but no, this is wrong. Let's get this. You know, it's just and then sometimes it's, okay, let's take a day off and then let's show it to someone else. And the other thing is, is get the people that are doing the job involved in the creation of it. So that, because they're going to really be able to break it too, have them there. And then you get this thing finally created. And, and like I said before, every year you got to review it. You got to go through it. Every time there's a major problem, you got to, but it's not a, um, you know, this cause you create them too. It's not something that I, you give me something and a day later, I, can, I can't hand you a template of my leasing. People always say, oh, can I just take your leasing borrow system? Yours, right. Can I just borrow yours and use it? I'm like, it's a different company. Like you, you give that to your employees and they had no input in it. And they don't, I don't know the problems that you have in your state or your area or that it's, you could be very similar to mine, but you still got to adapt it to your company. And that's where I think people think, oh, I'll buy this product and it's all, all the systems already pre-done. And I'll just use the systems that were created on the product. And you guys have, I'm sure you have like sample sample products on, your, on yours. It, that's, you're going to get frustrated, but if you spend the time to create things that are your company specific, you're going to love it, you're going to use it, and you're going to add value to what you're, what you're doing. You got to just invest that time because that time will be paid fold and tenfold to you. So let's talk about the, the human resource commitment that is required here. You talked about having the staff involved. You talked about the fact that you're not the system architect, but you do have a system architect. Talked with them. I met him. He, he's been at one of your events before. I believe yeah, I've met David, yeah, you, David in person before. What is the investment that you think most small business owners, most PMs, should be ready to make on the human side? Do they need a process or a systems architect? How much of that brain power is required to really get the yield here, knowing it's not a one-time project? It's not a get it done in three months. It's kind of an ongoing need. So certain point, you're going to love your systems. You're going to love what's going on. And you might get a systems person for your company, if your company's big enough. But I would suggest you like, so we do sell our systems, PM Solutions Pro, we sell our leasing process. So if I sell you my leasing process, what David does is he has a, um, like a diagram and it shows what our process is. You go through it and you X out and you write in all the new things. And then he goes back and he works on editing it for your company. 
And then you go back some meets with you and then you look through it and you say, oh, we need this changes. We need this. So when we sell our programs, we sell them for a set price. And it also includes like four hours of David's time. And then you pay hourly after that to change it. So if you have a pretty easy, you know, you're young or whatever, you can probably get away with doing that and, and you can get, you can get it all good in that four hour time. But if you, some people are very complex and their processes are very different, you might spend 20, 30 hours revising it. But, you know, for a bigger business, for something that's really complex, it's going to save you a lot of time and probably add a lot of money. So you can do that. You could, you know, if you have a thousand doors and you have a big staff, I would say having a systems implementer is an essential job. If you have a hundred doors, like, do you really want to pay someone full-time 40 hours a week? It's got to be you. You got to do the lift yourself. Yeah, you got you got to be working on it. And if you have 100 doors, have someone like like David who can do all the technical BS. And then you can be the hammer. You can be like, oh, no, that's not going to work for me. That's going to work for me. But then you don't have to list there and figure out, how does a zap work? What do I do with a Zapier? How am I going to link this? No, you, you can just sit there and get it so you can get it right. Um, because... We all have our skills. And if you asked me to teach you Zapier, I'd be like, I don't know how to do that. If you ask Wolfgang Krosky, you know, he's called, we call him our Zap King. So everybody has their skills. Go with what your skills are. When you don't have a skill in a certain area, you can spend hundreds of hours learning the skill, but you probably still won't be as good as someone who, was, who has that skill and been doing it. Or you can invest that hundred hours to keep building your business pay someone else to help you with that skill and do what you're good at. Now you brought up the example in the use case of somebody at a hundred doors at a thousand doors, all of everything we're talking about, it feels very obvious, fairly obvious. They're going to get a higher yield on the investment in the tech for the person at a hundred doors. It's an interesting use case. They're at 50 doors, 70 doors. The leverage here, the proposition is different because they're building stuff, they're building processes for them to use. It's different when you're building a process for somebody else to use, but when you're using a process for you to use, back to the lack of discipline, you can have that sense of like, ah, I already know how to do it. It's already in my head. It is. I I agree with you, it's in your head. But you have 50 doors, I I agree with you 100%. Everything when I had 50 doors was in my head and I did all the work. I hired a remote employee because I wanted to do more BDM stuff. And I just said, oh, yeah, it's in my head. And I tried to regurgitate it on the paper in my head. And guess what? My remote employee or whoever I got in that job didn't work out because I was a bad leader. So if you have 50 doors and you get, let's just say you do your leasing process. I want to get my leasing process so I don't deal with leasing or my renewal process or whatever process it is. You get one of those processes done and you get it so it's done well. Then you go hire a remote team member and who's costing you four to $6 an hour. And then you have that remote team member and guess what? They're going to be successful. They're going to be able to do their job. And when I make a process, I make it like an educational tool. We have every step. We have videos in there with that, that go over how to do something. So if you got lost in that folio, this is where you got to go in that folio. This is what you click. This is what you do because that person Let's say you are small and let's say they do renewals twice a year and they do them in June and they do them in September because somehow your leases are all that way. Well, when June comes around, they haven't done it for like a long time. Are they going to remember the process? No. But if you have the process and videos, they retrain themselves. So instead of you having to spend a day 
figuring out and helping them. They can retrain them because you've already done the training once. So that's where processes help you. Because like my first thing when I hire someone new is I want, this is the process you're going to take over. I want you to go through this process 25 times. After you go through it like 25 times, watch all the videos. I want you to move in fake people. You're going to move them into fake address and I want you to work on it and find out where you're and And so after you do that, come back to us, ask us questions. But now I, they're training themselves from our process. Now, what is the recruiting, hiring, profile, appetite, skill set that you have in mind? You're clearly really into processes, more so than probably your average owner. When you think about the demands and the QA on what you're trying to do for your frontline staff that are going to be interacting with this, what's the conversation that you try to have to find out if this is somebody that's going to have the appetite for this level of of rigor and thoroughness and how the work is being done. You mean someone to create my processes? No, somebody to, to run the processes. Cause you, oh, okay. surely you've had employees so, before that just, they're so, like, it's too much. I don't want to, I don't want to. No, 80% of people are task doers. So 80% of people are not business entrepreneurs. 80% of people like to be told what to do. They like to have a set routine and they like to finish it. Mm-hmm. That is a majority of people. There is weird people like me and you that are ADD, you know, can't stay focused all the time, that we're always thinking, we're always thinking, we always have to, if I had to do the same thing every day, that wouldn't be good for me. But I know from my education background that everybody learns differently, but there's a good portion of people that you give them set instructions and they can, and they will do an amazing job and they're going to be the best employee you ever had. Now, everybody's looking for the unicorn. All the people with a hundred doors are looking for that unicorn, someone that can figure out what's in your brain and do everything with no instruction. Well, guess what those people are called? Entrepreneurs. So you're trying to hire an entrepreneur and you're like, oh my God, these people suck. No, they don't suck. You didn't give them set goals. And so you're looking for that one person who can just do things on their own and doesn't need guidance. That's, that's harder to find, mm-hmm. a lot harder to find. And then that person who doesn't need guidance, what's going to happen when they have to do the same job over and over again for a year? They're going to get sick of it. They're going to quit. They're going to go do something else. Why? Not because they don't like working for you and all doing it, because they're a type of person that has to always be doing something different. And so at the beginning, it was fun because they had to figure it out. It was things. But once it got repetitive, Mm -hmm. they move on to the next thing. So you want those repetitive people. Because those repetitive people will be there for years and years and years. You'll keep raising their salary. You'll keep giving them good benefits. You'll keep, but they're going to be great employees. They're happy and you're happy. So that's why I'm saying if people, when they're looking for someone, I had someone who hired a remote employee and thought that texting them instructions was training them. And then when they didn't work out, they were like, yeah, they were just stupid. And I'm like, they weren't stupid. Yeah, that's sad. You texted them like, hey, just do this. They would text them like a list and expect them to be able to figure it with no systems in place. That's not, that's not, but, but I can do that. I don't need, I don't need to have um, how to do something. Yes, because you built the company, you learned it from ground scratch and you spent hundreds and hundreds of hours of learning this and now it's in your head, but you expected them just to figure it out in 10 minutes. So, I mean, your, your expectations have to be in the right place. And I find that the majority of times when employees fail, you got to look in the mirror. There's, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Let's rewind that and just re- replay that a couple times. <laughs> it's always my fault. Yeah. Blame yourself. 
That's yeah. some advice I heard earlier in my career. Just blame yourself. Well, I mean, there's times that either they were dishonest or were this, but for the mo- majority of times, yeah. people fail because leadership sucks. And they just, you know, and it, but it, they, their expectations are you're just going to do it. And if they could just do it with no direction on their own, super motivated, work 80 hours a week, they would have your job. Well, yeah, they, <laughs> they would be an entrepreneur. And, and they probably should, some of those people that are doing that. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. They're figuring it out. Paul, we've seen a lot of shift in the industry, particularly in the vendor landscape. I'm curious, what's the lender, What's the lens that you use to QA and think about interacting with different vendors? What do you like to see in judging if a given vendor, somebody new on the scene is going to be worth their salt? What, 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 what dynamic, what vibes, what energy, what offering kind of works from you and what you look from the vendors that you love versus the ones that maybe are just kind of so-so? The ones I love built relationships. You can have great technology, you can have a great product, but if you don't build the relationships, then I don't know if I, I don't hundred percent trust you. Like, you know, we look at second nature um, and they were NARPM affiliate of the year of like four years in a row, but you know, they build those relationships with people. They come out there and they really genuinely, I believe care. I look at lead simple. Me and you have built relationships over the years. Um, I look at tenant Turner. Tenant Turner is one of those companies where like I was with, I was with you from year one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I went with you year one and you were just a young, young kid, you know, and it was just like, and I would, year one, you're talking to the CEO. I would call you and ask you questions and, and you built that relationship. And of course, as years go by, you have staff and people do it, but like all those young companies that come into our space, you know, you guys, you have a product you might believe in your product all the time, but you also have to build that rapport. You have to build that sense of community. You have to become part like of, of, of us because then if something goes wrong and I have a relationship with a vendor, then it's like, okay, no problem. If something goes wrong and a vendor says, which one vendor once told me, I won't say the vendor's name. Well, you only have 60 doors. I don't give a crap about you. I mean, it was his exact words were that like you only have 60 doors and that vendor to this day, I cannot stand that vendor. But it was like, because it made me feel like, yeah, I only had 60 doors and I was growing, but you don't know what's going to happen in my future. And um, so just coming to this space, we're and like, um, you know, one of the vendors that I see that's just coming on our space that I think they're doing a good job. And I think it's a, it's a pretty cool idea is the pest share. Yeah. Landon like those guys. But yeah. So like you come in, come in with a good idea, but then you, you meet those guys and they're very personal mm-hmm. and they'll, and they'll, you know, great vibe, go out to go out. I know if you're a vendor, you're going to one conference after another and you don't want to be out at the parties and stuff, but go out to those things. Cause that's like, you can sell me, sell me, sell me, but you go out and you sit down with me and you just have a real heart to heart conversation about your product. Then we're going to be the ones who sell your product because when we use your product and we believe in you, we're going to, we're going to keep working hard for you. Now, Paul, what's interesting is how do you reconcile everything that you're saying with the fact that clearly there are large, successful vendors that do not feel obligated to make the kind of investment that you're describing? Those, there's certain things that you have to have, products you have to have that you're kind of tied to. But 
it's just it's unfortunate like you're you're going to use some products like there's going to be products you use because it's a necessity but you're not going to be out there preaching it to other people to use their product and that's a choice that they can make so you know you might be like oh and this is not a product like z inspector i love and i love andy but like let's say andy wasn't someone i love but you know like, i'm going to use someone i really like like let's say Andy never showed up or did something, then I would use the inspector because it's a great product. But would I sell the inspector? Would I tell other people? I wouldn't. I wouldn't be a passionate. Um, one of your conferences talked about the passion. There was a book like the passionate followers, or you, you. I think you gave the book out. It was one of your PM grows. Was it? The, was it the Joey Coleman book? Never lose yeah. another customer. Passion. Yes. Yes. Mm. It wasn't Joey Coleman at one of your events. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got to meet him back. So like that's where I thought about. It's like. You know, I'm passionate about some of these vendors. And Z Inspector, I'm passionate about, just so you guys know. I don't, I, I was using an example because he's one of my really good friends and I was with Z Inspector since his first year here. So I've been with a lot of these vendors from day one. And, you know, people will have, there's been some great other inspection softwares that have come up to me and they might, I don't know if they have a better product or not, but I'm just like, I'm not even interested because, you know, I know that what I'm dealing with and, you know, that, and I know that they're going to give me a good experience. Now, what's interesting is some people hear this and think, oh, Paul, what do I care? It's all about the product, nuts and bolts, the functional, the literal. If something else is better, but the, I don't vibe with these people, it's just business. What I think is interesting, Paul, is that when you cultivate reputation, when you cultivate relationship, you get the upside, but there's also downside. If you screw up and you're in an environment where you're trading on reputational capital, you are more vulnerable to your mistakes and your flaws. They will be a brighter light will be shined upon them. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that NARPM does. There, there is built in accountability in coming to this place and being seen and leveraging these relationships and benefiting from it. And that is that it's really hard to do wrong by the customer and maintain any kind of traction. If you do wrong by the customer, it's going to get found out and it's going to get spread far and wide. And that to me is the business case for why PMs, small business, anybody using any kind of a vendor should care about working with people that maintain reputational capital and that therefore have that kind of liability and risk profile in the event that they choose to discard that. Well, I, I agree with you, but I also think if you build those relationships in NARPM, and someone is pissed off at your product, there'll be 20 people that will come to that person. It's a great counterbalance aid and be like, well, you know, you need to talk to him personally because that's not the experience and he's amazing or she's amazing. And I mean, you know, people switch companies, they do this and we have things. And I mean, there is, there is a point where a product, you might switch from a product, but when in reality, um, a lot of products are very similar. Like they might, this bell and whistle might be different. This bell and whistle might be different, but there's usually not like this one um, will, will shoot you to the moon in a second. And this one won't. Um, the reason I am passionate about lead simple is because you focus on one industry and that's ours. We're all in. So do I think process street is a bad software? No, it's just, it's focused on every industry. Monday focused on every industry We're we're lead simple you're focused on what property management needs and you're not going to trying to get, you know, people that are in construction or other things. So you go to these events, you um, go to my conference and you sit there and you listen to what people like and dislike and you try to help our industry. So to me, that's really special. 
about the product because it's industry specific and it's really helping us out. So, I mean, those are the types of things like vendors, you know, filter easies in multiple markets, but they really focus, their property management doesn't focus on property management. And they know what we like and they know what we don't like. And they'll call you all the time and be like, hey, what can we do better for you? Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of these vendors, you know, it's kind of like I said with our property owners, you as an owner and you call your owners and say, hey, what can I do better for you? What can I do more? Oh, you know what? I want to buy two more houses. You didn't call them when they were so busy. They didn't think about that. Now you just made an extra 40 grand and you just added two more to your portfolio because you were just so busy. You can't build those relationships. We should build the relationships as property owners. We should have our companies building it with our clients as we expect our vendors to build with us. Why should there be a separation between what we want? If we expect these companies to, you know, really care and be care about us, why don't we now our owners? Oh, they're just an idiot owner. No, they're not. They're your, if they are get rid of them and move on and get good owners. They're your, they're your base. They're what's giving you your money. They're what's building your company and your tenants. I mean, I hear it all the time. Sometimes people are like, Oh, I hate my tenants. I hate my tenants. Why do you hate your tenants? They're your customer base too. They buy houses. They're living in your house. If they pay rent every month and they don't have problems and they do a good job, well, they had a repair and you didn't fix it for two weeks and they're pissed off. Well, if you lived in that house and your sink didn't work for two weeks and it smelled like sewage, would you be pissed off? Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in these other people's shoes. And then when someone yells at you, I'm always like, well, they're not yelling at me. They're yelling at the situation. And... There's some people, like I said, that are crazy, but for the most part, you look at, they're yelling at the situation. How can I resolve the situation? What could we have done better so that they didn't have this bad experience? Paul, I think we're going to end it there. That was a great little monologue here at the end about taking things full circle, putting yourself in the seat and the shoe of your client. There's empathy, there's humility, there's humanity and dignity in that. I love the contributions that you're making to the industry. I appreciate that you're an advocate for the little guy. That's something that's meaningful to me. And uh, I enjoy being in this industry with you. I enjoy being with you. It's been a great uh, seven years that we've uh, been working together. Thanks for coming on, brother. Have a great day. Boom. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.